Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics. I'm joined by a group of colleagues, uh, my two co-hosts, Chris Dredes. Chris is the Deputy Chief Economist and Ryan Sweet. Ryan is the Director of Real-Time Economics. And then we've got uh, Marissa, Marissa Di Natale and Dante, Dante D'Antonio, uh, our two job market mavens. Because you guys, you guys both came from the BLS, right? Uh, one point or another. Now, I think we established that you guys did not overlap. Right. No, they're, they're shaking their heads. No. We did not overlap. We did not overlap. Uh, and, and Mercy, you worked on, what, what was the report you worked on when you were there? Well, uh, I worked on the household survey side. Oh, that's right. The CPS, but we, the people in that office write the jobs report. Every Got month. it. Yeah. Got it. So you, you were focused on that household employment. Yeah survey, yeah. right. which is the basis for the unemployment rate, participation rate, that kind of thing, which we'll definitely come back to. And Dante, you were focused on regional, I believe, employment. Yeah, so it's payroll survey, but state metro employment, yeah. State metro employment. So we, we've got uh, some real expertise here. Uh, you got to make up for, you know, Ryan's deficiencies, you know, so <laughs> not sure about Ryan's. Uh, what are you, yeah. three minutes? Three minutes I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to point out your forecast for the job gain this month was pretty Awful. bad i thought we maverick we <laughs> you had the same forecast i know, I know. <laughs> it's exactly it's true yeah, no, it was really forecast. bad 225k we'll yeah. yeah but i know I, yeah. I went back i made an amateur mistake oh okay we got i want to hear about that mm-hmm. yeah because my mistakes are always professional but uh, you know i'd love to hear the uh, <laughs> But anyway, we're obviously talking about the July employment number from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, and uh, we need a rundown. So, Marissa, you want to lead the way here? Uh, You want to give us a sense of the report? Yeah. So you guys were only about 300,000 off. Um, I'll remember this. (laughs) The the increase, the net increase in payrolls in July was 528,000. Huge. Very surprising. I mean, you, you, and you weren't the only ones that are off, right? Consensus was nowhere near that as well. I think it was 250, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah the, the highest forecast was around 300. So this was way out of. Oh, really? Yeah, so mm-hmm. so Boy, you're the, not alone. The distribution was very narrow on the forecast. It was a, it was I think the range, I could be off by a little bit. I think it went from yeah. 40 to 350. Wow. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And Sorry, then, so 528,000 in July. And then if you look at May and June revisions, added another 28,000 to payrolls. Both May and June were revised higher. The job gains were very broad based. We got a huge increase in uh, leisure hospitality, employment. Um, I'll say that the BLS in writing up their news release makes it a point to say we're now we're now back above where we were in February of 2020 in terms of payroll employment. And that's true of most industries. There's only a couple of industries now where uh, payrolls are still are below where they were prior to the pandemic. So that's leisure hospitality, education, healthcare, state and local government. And I think wholesale trade might be below as well, but everything else is back above where it was. So in that respect, the uh, the labor market is kind of back to normal. The unemployment rate fell. Uh, that was, would you consider that normal, though? I mean, in the in the sense that 
if there had been no pandemic, what That's would right. have employment be, be been? Mm-hmm. Presumably higher, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. a lot higher. A, 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 like how much higher do you think? Well, if you think what average job growth pre-pandemic was 150, 200,000 per month. So that adds up pretty quickly. Although you, we that probably would have slowed, right? Because yeah. we were at full employment yeah. given labor force, probably even 100K maybe. Yeah, so 100. Okay. So you're saying maybe- um, Two and a half million more jobs, mm-hmm. something like that. Correct. So the, the pandemic is still weighing on the labor market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We're so back can, to where we we're back to where we were. Yeah. Right. We're back to where we were. The unemployment rate fell to three and a half percent. So, and that is where we were when we went into the recession induced by the pandemic. It was three and a half percent in in February and in January of 2020. Um, and the labor force participation rate actually didn't really change. It ticked up by a 10th of a percentage point. It looks like. Did it tick up? I thought it ticked down. By a 10th of a percentage point. Tick down. I thought it was up. See, you have all this, these problems with negative, positive signs. Here we go. Yeah. It's like, here we go again. Yeah. Like what what the heck? Really? fell. It it fell. fell. Yeah. It fell. fell. 62 point, right? Dante. Dante. Did it I fall? Go down by a tenth, yeah. Okay. Down apparently a tenth of a percentage point. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's very. Funny. Um, let's see what else. Um, average hourly earnings <clears throat> were up um, 0.4 percent over the. Are month. you sure? Are you sure they were up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making things up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, no, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. They're, they're definitely up. Yeah. Yeah, and the the year over year growth rate, though, in average hourly earnings has come down a bit. I mean, there it's actually accelerated month on month, but on the year, it's it's decelerated a bit over the past few months. So we are seeing real negative wage growth for for most workers. I, I think the year over year is five two five point two percent. Is that right? Ryan, do you know? Five one or five two. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Yeah. It feels like it feels like, uh, at least in terms of average hourly earnings, and I think I go so far as to say the all the wage statistics, they're you know obviously not exactly the same, but they're all coalescing around the five percent ish kind of wage growth. Would that you would that sound about right to you? If you look at ECI too, and yeah. yeah, yeah. Employment cost index and <clears throat> right. You know the plethora of data. Okay, and, and what would you say? My sense is we want wage growth that to be consistent with two percent inflation, which is the Fed's target where the Fed wants inflation to go appropriately. So that would be consistent with wage growth of of what would you say? Something three and a half, four percent, something like that. That would be two percent inflation plus one and a half, two percent productivity growth, something like that. Okay. Okay. I'm asking you, Marissa. Is that oh sorry? Um, yeah, sorry. I thought you said Brian. Um three, three and a half percent. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very good. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm just yeah, no, that's rejecting. okay. Um, uh, and in, in terms of the payroll survey, like I said, it was pretty broad based. The diffusion index was high indicating that job gains are broad based across industries. 
Um, I was looking at some of the industry detail. Um, if you look at the job gains across industries, really don't see many negative numbers, some in manufacturing, notably uh, motor vehicles, lost jobs over the month. Um, but other than that, there weren't any major, you know, big industries that, that actually lost jobs over the month. It was mostly gains everywhere. Um, right. What else? It's a really, it's a really good report. It's hard to find anything that's bad in this really. Um, Except for maybe the step back and participation, I guess, right? That would be the only like, sort of blemish. Yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't read much into a one-tenth percentage point move in either direction. I mean, it's not even in their statistical significance of right. movements in that statistic. So, yeah. so whether it's up a tenth or down a tenth, it's down really tenth. all the same. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, that, that's, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Okay, uh, so uh, a, a good, well, depends on your perspective. I mean, looking at it from a prism of growth, this unabashedly good report. Looking at it from the prism of the Fed's prism, you know, wage and price pressures, maybe not so much. They probably would have some issue with this or some concern with it, but we'll come back to that. Um, okay, uh, Dante, you want to fill any uh, gaps in there? Uh, anything you want to highlight? Uh, anything that uh, you think is important that we should focus on? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, the one month move in participation doesn't matter so much, but there certainly looks like there's a trend forming in the wrong direction where over the last three or four months, it's continued to sort of tick a little bit lower. Um, you know, it's primarily driven by older workers. I think there was a little bit of step back in young workers this month as well. Um, you know, prime age seems to be holding up pretty good, which is you know, the most important piece. But certainly, I think older workers and increased share of retirements is is going to be an issue at some point if we continue to add jobs like this. You know, participation is, is going to matter more and more. And I think that older cohort of workers that have retired at higher rates over the last two years at some point is going to come into play in terms of availability of workers. Um, so that's one thing. And then yeah, I still think it's seasonal adjustment. Before you, before you move yeah. on uh, on the labor force participation point, so what you're saying is, yeah, one, one month down, no big deal. But this there's it feels like it's slumping here a little bit. The participation rate caved when the pandemic hit, came back when the economy reopened, never got fully back, and now it feels like it's slumping a little bit. And that's a bit of a concern because we have labor force participation generally remains relatively low. Certainly compared to pre-pandemic. Can I ask you about that though? Uh, is it, I mean, if you look at um, projections for the labor force participation rate pre-pandemic, look at our projections, look at projections from the Congressional Budget Office. Projections were for lower participation uh, throughout this period, just given the aging out of the baby boom generation from the workforce. And I think, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, that the participation rate today is almost exactly where the CBO said it was going to be, you know, pre-pandemic. Uh, from that, if from the, does that make sense to you? Does that cushion the blow here in, in terms of your thinking as to what it means? 
I think it certainly cushions the blow a bit, right? I mean, we weren't expecting participation rates to, you know, they had sort of spiked right before Mm -hmm. the pandemic in late 2019, and that trend certainly wasn't expected to continue. So I think that does make it a a little bit of a softer impact. If you look at our forecast just for the size of the labor force back at the end of 2019 relative to where we are now, there's still like a about a 3 million gap, I think, between sort of where we thought the labor force would be in terms of total size versus where we are today. Um, so, you know, certainly we're still missing some segment of the workforce that we thought would be there absent the pandemic. You know, I think that is right. We weren't expecting growth to continue at the rates we saw in you know, 2015 to 2019, but even if it had grown at slower rates, you know, absent the pandemic, we would be, we'd have a bigger labor force today. There'd be more older workers in the labor force still, you know, it would probably take some of that pressure off of wages that we're seeing sort of persist. Um, so I think from the Fed's perspective in terms of wage and price pressures that the labor force issue is, is big because it's going to keep those wage pressures higher for longer, I think, than they would be. Yeah, my, uh, I, think that's, I think that's right. I think, though, the, the thing that's a bit surprising isn't that labor force participation is as low as it is because that feels like that was going to happen more or less even without the pandemic. What is different, though, is working age population growth. That is, that has, that really got crushed during the pandemic and uh, has rebounded a little bit. But, you know, if you look at that, it's only a little bit above, today's working age population is only a little bit above what it was pre-pandemic. And that goes to, I think, largely immigration. We just had so many fewer immigrants come into the country certainly leading up to the pandemic because of changing immigration law under President Trump, but the pandemic just crushed the immigration and which is, you know, key to the labor force. So you agree with that? Or yeah, I think, you know, certain, thinking about long-term growth potential, especially, you know, immigration, if it doesn't ever come back to what it was before, you know, as natural population growth keeps slowing, which you know, almost certainly will, immigration would would be a bigger and bigger piece of potential labor force growth moving forward. So it's a critical piece to watch out for, I think, over the next few years. Got it. Got it. Hey, Ryan, anything you want to add to the the, uh, rundown on the employment report? I think something that I found very encouraging is uh, the drop in long-term unemployed. So the number of people that are unemployed for 27 weeks or longer, that fell more than 250,000 and is now lower than it was pre-pandemic. So, you know, there's concerns about long-term scarring effects of the pandemic on unemployed, like structurally higher unemployment doesn't seem to be, you know, coming to fruition. So I thought that was very encouraging. Yeah. I, I didn't notice that. That's a very interesting. Was that, is that, a, is that a, uh, was that a, uh, in the month or is that a trend that you've been observing in the data? Oh, it's been steadily declining, but has, there was a yeah. big drop in July and that put big us drop. back down lower than we were pre-pandemic. So the other thing I noticed was the number of people that were employed, but not at work because of own illness that ticked up in July. I think that's COVID related, but say that again, what was the that? number of people that are employed, but not at work because of, of, of an illness uh, that rose in July, not a lot, but it, it ticked up and it's still you know elevated. So I think, you know, the pandemic is still having an effect on the labor market. Could that be part of the labor force participation issue? It could be. I mean, there's some discussion that maybe long COVID is having an effect on the participation rate, which, you know, we have to dig into and see if there's any evidence of that. But, you know, there's lots of reasons why the participation rate is not going anywhere. Yeah. 
Okay. But that's bounced around, right? I mean, it, oh, yeah. it didn't look like it was an unusual <laughs> spike in July. And, the number, the number <clears throat> of people out sick? Yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't an unusual. It was just, I thought hopefully the trend was going to keep going down, but yeah. you know, we're kind of bouncing back up. Although if you look at the, the supplemental questions about COVID, mm-hmm. the number of people who said that they were working from home because of COVID fell to the lowest it's been since the start of the pandemic. And that's even with cases quite high in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. And I don't put a lot of, I think we've talked about this before, I don't put a ton of stock in that particular question, but just directionally in the magnitude of it, the fact that it's it's reached a, a pandemic low, I think is significant just in terms of how people are coping with COVID differently now than they were maybe a year ago. Yeah, it's definitely but, less disruptive because of the quarantine. Yeah. Period. It's been slashed slash in half. But one thing I'm worried about is, is monkeypox because the quarantine period is two to four weeks. So if these cases really start to increase, that could be very, very disruptive to the job market. Hmm. Hey, uh, Marissa, the number of people that said they were not working because of COVID, was that the 548,000, 550,000 people? Is that the number? No, no, no. This is the number of, well, the, what I was referring to yeah. was people who said they were working from home. Because oh, of the pandemic, teleworking. Oh, oh, the teleworking. And that was like 11 million people or oh, something like that. It was 7% of employed. I see, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's another st- st- uh, COVID-related statistic and uh, the number of people saying that they're not in the labor force because of COVID is now 548, 550,000, something That's right. Like that. There's another yeah. number. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what it was, but you're yeah. right. That's, so that's COVID's still, a lot still of playing people. a role. It's still a lot of people, yeah. Yeah. So COVID's still playing a role. I mean, a meaningful role, but it's just you're saying it's becoming less significant as we. And I think it's just becoming less disruptive. I think, um, you know, people are. Some people are working from home. Other people are kind of going about their business pretty quickly after a diagnosis. So it's it's a different it's a different world than we were in a year ago. If you if you got COVID, right? I think it was far more disruptive a year ago to the labor force. So so here's how I think about it. So as you point out, employment, payroll employment is now back to its pre-pandemic peak, a little bit above uh, 30,000K above. If not for the pandemic, I I think it would be fair to say that employment would probably be about two and a half million jobs higher than it is today. That's 100K per per month, sort of on average, something like that. Of that two and a half million K that we're kind of, let's call them missing. I'd say three fourths of that is, and this is kind of in my mind, I'm just, I'm laying it out and like to hear what you think, but three and a half, uh, about three quarters of that is related to the decline in working age population growth relative to what it would have been because of of the hit to immigration. And that's that's largely policy and the pandemic. And then the other fourth is still related to COVID. You know, people, you know, not working because of COVID for some reason, long COVID, fear of getting sick, fear of making their parent, their elderly parents sick or their kids sick or whatever it may be. Uh, and uh, also uh, a little bit in there, uh, of the two and a half million are, uh, you know, people who 
uh, don't need two or three jobs, you know, at least up to this point in time, they got, they sheltered in place, save money, or they got government support, save money. And it's allowed them to be a little bit more leisurely in terms of taking a second or third job that they had needed to have before the, before the pandemic. So that goes to, you know, the fact that we've seen fewer, much fewer part-time jobs out there compared to full-time jobs. Does that characterization sound right to you, or, you know, roughly right, or would you have a different kind of frame? And I, I'm kind of throwing it out to the group if anyone's got an opinion about that. Does that sound about right? Good framework? I think so. It does. I noted that there's a, uh, the, the 55 plus crowd is the uh, demographic that has stepped out at a, a higher rate and hasn't really come back in. So whether that's directly related to COVID or indirectly related to COVID because of the savings they may have been able to, to build up, I'm not sure. But I, I think that's a wild card, right? Mm. Will that group stay permanently out or are they going to come back in at some point? Right. Especially given what equity markets have been doing right. recently, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if, if right. my frame is right, then uh, we're... we're we're never going to get all those jobs back. Right. I mean, right. Right. Those, we're not going to have immigration above what it would have been otherwise for an extended period. Oh, it doesn't feel like that's unlikely. Yeah. Unlikely. Uh, we might get those co the COVID related work of folks that have been affected by COVID back in, but that could take a long time to come back in and, you know, who knows? Uh, so, you know, uh, we may get partway back, those two and a half million that were down, but it doesn't feel like we're going to get most of those back. It feels like we're going to, we, when you graph, when we look back five, 10 years from now and graph employment and look at the, the, the level of employment, you're going to see a shift down in employment. We're not going to, we're not going to get all that back. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like, yeah. Okay. Hey, Chris, I didn't ask you uh, anything else in the jobs report you wanted to call out. Were you equally surprised? I don't know what your your forecast was for this. I was on the higher end, but not yeah. 500K. Right? So, yeah, right. Um, so I, I was higher than consensus, but didn't expect this. So yeah, I think the report was stunning, to use one word. It was uh, well above uh, expectations here. And really, to, I think Marissa made the point, really hard to find any real uh, sign of weakness in any sector, in any industry, any demographic, look across education, gender, age. Strong across the board. That's a hint for the statistics game. I I really had to dig to find something. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I, I think it's a, a strong report. Good for the house. Uh, good for households. Good for the overall economy. Not so great for my productivity forecast. Right. This uh, the strength in labor market, given the weakness in GDP, really points to weakening uh, productivity uh, growth. And I've been you've been a productivity bull. I'm a technology uh, uh, evangelist, so yeah, doesn't point in that direction. Yeah, we'll come back to that because we've got Dante on too, and he's the productivity skeptic. So I know we should talk right. about that a little bit before before we go there. Uh, I do want to talk about what this means for this whole debate around: Have we been in recession? Are we in recession? Have we been in recession? This <sighs> feels like this. Obviously not. Obvious. Obviously not. Obviously not. Right. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. even bring up, you can't even use the R word anymore. Right. And does it yeah. matter? 
It's I mean, a tiresome debate. It, it is. I think it's a sideshow kind of debate. I mean, it's sort of semantics. It's like if, if you're a household and you, how are you doing? You know, do you, do you have jobs? Are you getting raises? Is inflation eating into your spending, which it probably is, right? I mean, there's a lot of households that are hurting just because of gas prices and elevated prices across the board. It probably doesn't feel great. So I, I just think whether or not we label anything a recession is sort of, <clears throat> at this point, that's not the discussion that people should be focusing on. I mean, I, there's, we can't be in a recession when the unemployment rate is falling and it's three and a half percent, which is about as low as it's almost ever been. Um, and we're adding half a million jobs a month. I mean, that's not a recession that's not a at recession. all. Yeah. So, th- so then the question becomes, well, what is, what are the things that are wrong in the economy and how can those be addressed? And that's the discussion I think that we should be having. More productive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's inflation. Yes. At least the most immediate problem. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Okay. Dante, would you take exception? I know you'd like to take the other side of these kinds of arguments. <laughs> you do it with me all the time. <laughs> I mean, I have a, a few reasons why I'm a little bit skeptical of how strong the, the job support was. Yeah, I think there's reasons to believe that it's it's pretty overstating pretty strongly sort of how many oh. jobs added. I don't maybe after the game, I'll get into a little more detail. But I think I, I have probably three reasons why I think maybe, you know, this doesn't tell us the whole story in terms of how strong the job market is. Oh, so productivity might, might be stronger. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's enough to flip the productivity script, but I, yeah, I think. Certainly, I don't know that 500K is, is the real number this month. I think we're, we're doing fine. The, the job market is fine. But yeah, I think we're certainly probably overstating the case this month in terms of how strong it really is. Well, you teased us three reasons. Is that, are you saying we should wait to the game before we get the three reasons? Is that- Yeah, I'm going to give away one of my reasons if, we, uh, if I do it. Oh, right okay. Now. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll wait uh, then uh, uh, to hear the three reasons uh, why it's not as strong as it appears. Okay. Uh, okay. So uh, let's just put that to bed. This is, we're not in recession. We have not experienced recession in the first half of the year. That just, how is that possible with falling unemployment and booming job growth? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That that would be the case. Okay. All right. So then let's go to that, the question you brought up a minute ago, and that is productivity. So kind of at face value, you got GDP declining. GDP fell in the first half of the year, two quarters of consecutive decline. That's the value of all the things we produce. That's output. And then uh, jobs are booming. Uh, Hours worked uh, are booming. So, you know, one divided by the other, which is productivity, that feels like it says productivity is declining, declining. So, Chris, uh, you know, how how do you square this circle, you know, given your thinking that your productivity bull, uh, that your technological innovation is going to drive very strong productivity growth going forward. Are you giving up on that view or what? How are you squaring the circle? Not giving up uh, long-term, certainly. I think there's some noise in the data here first. So that's, <laughs> that's always the economist uh, explanation, right? Number one, if the data doesn't match your theory, the, the data must be wrong. So. <laughs> Uh, but I think that there's some legitimacy, right? We talk, we've been talking ad nauseum about the uh, GDP uh, report and issues in terms of measurement, high probability things get uh, restated. So there are probably 
it's probably not as dire as uh, what those uh, numbers suggested. But even if first and second quarter don't change, third and fourth quarter, I think, still look pretty good. So there could be some blips here, but if you smooth it all out, GDP probably is still in a relatively um, fine shape. So uh, that uh, the other point to make is that, you know, uh, clearly there are business cycles, right? So productivity may not go up uh, with a straight line, all right? There's going to be some ebbs and flows. But generally speaking, I still believe that remote work, all the technological innovations we've adopted over the last couple of years, they are going to pay some benefits in the longer run. They might not be as strong as 2% uh, type of growth, but still, I think we're, we'll get uh, reasonably high or higher than pre-pandemic levels of uh, productivity growth going forward. So just to f- frame this, and then I'm going to turn to you, Dante, in a second. Yeah. You know, since World War II, uh, productivity growth, I believe non-farm business productivity growth, is almost two percent per annum on the nose, right? Right. Uh, in the uh, he at the uh, at the apex of the slowdown in uh, productivity growth back in the mid part of the last decade, 2015, 2016, kind of in the wake of the deleveraging from the financial crisis, we were at one percent. It felt like yep. we were at one percent, uh, give or take. What do you think underlying productivity growth is now? Underlying meaning abstracting from these the vagaries of the data, you, you know, the quarter to quarter movements, even the, the effects of business cycles, getting under the underlying trend. What do you think it is now? So between one and a half and two, probably you I do. would okay. point estimate, I would say probably one and three quarter. Okay. Okay. Right. So and that's is, my is bullishness. That, and that's your forecast for where it would be. For this foreseeable future, long run, yeah, that's your long. It's that's where we are, one and three quarters. Which, which, by the way, I think before the pandemic hit, it felt like we had seen that come we're, up. To we were moving in that more. direction. Yeah, we're moving, yes. definitely moving in that direction. Okay, uh, and that's you think that's where we are, somewhere one and a half, two percent. If I had to pick a number, if you had to pick a number, which you do, uh, yeah, for your for a forecast, one and three quarters percent. Okay, yeah. which, by the way, going back to wage growth, that would imply that the uh, kind of the uh, sustainable amount of wage growth consistent with the 2% inflation would be three and three quarters percent, right? That would be right. 2% inflation plus one and three quarters percent. I, I, obviously, there's a lot of other things going on here on the margin, but that's roughly the case, somewhere between three and a half and 4%. On That's right. Okay. Uh, and you point to remote work. You didn't, you, one of the things I would, and I'm helping you build your case against Dante here because I can feel Dante is really going to come at us pretty hard here. But <laughs> the other thing is, if, correct me if I'm wrong, and Ryan, you, you probably know this data better than I, feels like uh, businesses are investing very aggressively in labor-saving technologies, you know, with software and equipment, uh, intellectual property. And, and, and that probably goes to the fact that they realize that Labor is going to be a problem. It's going to be it's going to be a shortage because of the demographic trends we've been talking about, aging out of the boomers, immigration flows, that kind of thing. Is that right? Do I have that right? That investment's been strong. It's been very strong, particularly in intellectual property. I mean, quarter after quarter, it's been growing very, very rapidly, and that leads productivity growth by a couple of years. So we'll start to see the fruits of those investments uh, over the next couple of years. Oh, so you're a productivity uh, bull as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. I'm with Chris. You're with Chris. Uh, where are you on this, Mercer? We're we're we're, we're, gonna, we're trying to isolate Dante here. Yeah, Don't yeah, worry, Dante. We're coming back to you in just a second. <laughs> where do you stand on this, Mercer? Uh, 
I'm maybe not as optimistic as as Chris and Ryan are, but I, I, I do think there's some evidence that over the past few years, we've invested quite a bit in labor saving technology. Um, the remote work thing, I don't, I don't know that in and of itself is a huge long-term boon to productivity growth. I think it's more of the, the other sorts of technological uh, investments that companies have made in the last couple of years. I think, I think the jury is still out on whether remote work by itself is productivity enhancing. I'd agree with that, yeah. On that point, though, uh, and of course, the jury is out. We need data points. Uh, but did you see there was this really cool study that uh, uh, Nick Bloom, the Stanford uh, fo- uh, professor who's kind of been out on this issue, uh, looking at uh, the uh, productivity of uh, engineers, uh, and they have this controlled experiment within a company, folks that are working remotely and folks that are working in the office. And they, uh, and the, you know, f- uh, for these kinds of uh, coders, uh, programmers, they can actually see how much line of, line of code they're actually writing, you know, every day. Yeah. And they found that the folks that are remote work actually written, written 8% more code than the folks that were working in the office. Did you see that study? I thought it was pretty cool. That sort of yeah. doesn't surprise me in that sort of job. I, I wonder what that looks like economy wide with other people who mm. are working remotely that maybe need more, do more collaborative work or group work or um, something where they're, th- there's more face-to-face that's part of their job, you know? Um, so let me ask you, are, has your productivity growth improved? You're remote. Well, I've Always been, been remote. So how's your productivity growth going? So I would say that it's improved since the pandemic because everyone else is now remote. Oh, okay. Oh, well, okay. okay. Well, there you yeah. go. That's I mean, that's been an, an enormous change, right? Because I've been remote for seven years, but I was sort of one person isolated who was remote and you guys were all together in an office and meetings would be very challenging because you'd all be in a sitting around a table together. You know how that goes. There's a lot of crosstalk. You forget that somebody's on the phone. The person on the phone has a hard time getting into the conversation. Now that everyone is remote, it's like a whole new world for me. I mean, we were dragging you down. You were dragging me down. Yeah, Yeah. you really were. Um, And now it's great because now I can have fruitful discussions and conversations with people face to face. So the fact well, that, that everyone that is sounds, like this. That, that sounds like an argument for why it could be a big deal as, you know, becomes, you, you hit critical mass, right? Technology improves, um, you know. Uh, yeah, it also, could the be. other thing I wonder about is, you know, as companies form now, it doesn't feel like they're going to optimize around a cube in an office building. It feels like they're going to optimize around remote work. Yeah. And that's, that's a whole different, you go to a whole different level of potential productivity gains because you're, you're building from ground zero around the remote work dynamic, as opposed to like us, we're kind of gerrymandering into remote work because that's not what we did, you know, pre-pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think it's an interesting question about the, like the, the cultural, um, sorts of transfers, you know, the, the 
innovation, the sort of like water cooler conversations you have with people that are spontaneous, that might spark new ideas when you're in an office and you're face to face. You know, I, I don't do much spontaneous zooming of people just to chat, right? Whereas in an office, you do that sort of thing. And sometimes that generates ideas or collaborations that you might not be getting at home. These are all completely open questions. I'm not, I'm not even arguing that that's not happening. Maybe it is, but I think it's going to take a while until we know what the real impact of that kind of, even if you're forming a business, right? I mean, that to me seems like something that really being in person and I mean, you no, Mark. And being in person and being able to I never really like being in person with my brother. I'm just saying, much better over Zoom. I just because you can hang up on him. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I never hang up on him. He hangs up on me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, good point though. All good points. So Dante, it's interesting. Oh, oh, sorry. Chris, one, go ahead. One, go one ahead. quick point here. So I, I think these are all uh, great points. I think there are some open questions here. My uh, assumption really is just predicated on the better matching of the labor market itself. I think that that alone already gives you some productivity. That's a good point. You're tapping into a national, maybe even international International. labor market now versus something that's more regional. And that has to produce some better quality matches. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, Okay, Dante. So what do you think of this? I kind of sort of cut you out here, isolated you off in this little (laughs) corner over here. Uh, so uh, fight your way out. So, you know, uh, of course, the data is on your side. Just <laughs> Yeah, so far. Um, <laughs> one, right. one, before I get into my main argument, quick counterpoint to Chris's argument about better matching is I think the jury's still out in terms of what the impact of remote work will have on turnover. Yeah, I think if if more remote work leads to persistently higher levels of turnover because people find it easier to switch jobs, I think that ultimately hurts firm level productivity if you have higher rates of turnover than you had pre-pandemic. Um, so that just one small point. I don't think that's a major factor here. You know, in my mind, the, the two big competing forces here are technology sort of broadly speaking and demographics. And you know, we, Mark, you and I worked on a paper a few years back, right? We quantified the impact of yeah. demographics, specifically aging on productivity, right? And The main, the biggest impact of aging on productivity was in the last decade and in the next decade, right? So these, we're in sort of the middle of the 20-year period where the aging of the population, we think, has the the biggest headwind against productivity growth, right? So I think that's my main reason why I think it's going to remain weak in the near term, right, through this decade. You know, what we've seen historically is that technological change takes a very long time to translate into much stronger productivity growth. The demographic issue is we're already in the midst of it, right? It's happening. It's it's going to continue to be a headwind. So if you're thinking about sort of estimates of productivity growth, yeah, I'm, I'm more pessimistic, I think, through this decade where I think we're probably something like one and a quarter percent instead of you know one and three quarters percent, like Chris would say. I still think that might settle higher long term, you know, once the sort of baby boomer headwind moves largely past, you know, at the end of the decade. Maybe you settle at you know one and a half percent longer term, um, but I just think the demographic issue is a bigger factor right now and will continue to be for the next couple of years at least versus the sort of the benefit that we're getting from technological change right now. I had forgotten about that paper. That was a classic, actually. Right, you were. That's why you're. You know, it's it's all. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. It's funny. That was the um, uh, the aging population 
was a very, it has been a very significant factor weighing on productivity. And we explored kind of why would that be the case? And we had two theories. One, the wise man theory, which was my favorite. And that was when aging boomers like me retire, we take all this institutional knowledge with us and you millennials and other generations behind us, you're, you're left diminished by that and it hurts productivity growth. It turns out that that's not the case. We couldn't see that at all in the data. It's more the albatross theory. And that is uh, guys like me are holding you guys like you back where the age ceiling over your ability to execute on new ideas and incorporate new technologies. And obviously that's key to productivity growth. And that is, that, that's what we found. It's interesting though, my take on that study and what it means for productivity growth is a little different. You're right that the aging has lowered trend productivity, but productivity growth, but we're well beyond the peak impact of that. That felt like that was a few, you know, back in the late latter part of the last decade. And that, 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 that weight on productivity growth is now diminishing over time and will be the case over the next decade. And a decade from now, it basically goes away. Is that right? Yeah, I think, yeah, basically yeah. started in roughly 2010, peaked maybe, you know, roughly 2020. And, you know, it's basically like a 20 year period with the peak in the middle. And we're, so we're on the downside of that that impact, I think. But I still yeah. think that impact is big enough, at least over the next couple of years to outweigh you know, the upside in productivity from, you know, pandemic related changes, I think. I see. Well, I think you'll both take solace in the fact that our actual baseline forecast is for 1.5% productivity growth. So it reflects both your views, I think, you know, quite well. Uh, we've three equally unhappy. Uh, pardon me? <laughs> We're equally unhappy. But. Equal, well, and that's the way, as it should be. We're all unhappy. Yeah, because we don't get exactly our forecast, but it's like one and a half percent. Okay, good. Uh, let's, uh, anything else on the productivity debate that anyone wants to bring up? No? Okay. Let's uh, turn to, so far, I think most of us have taken this report in the strong job gains as a glass have full kind of th development. This is, uh, you know, how can this be bad? <laughs> the economy is resilient. We're creating a lot of jobs. But let's talk about it in the context of the Federal Reserve and monetary policy, because that goes to the future. This feels more like a glass half empty kind of report. Would you agree, Ryan, with that perspective? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because I mean, look how the bond market reacted. You know, good news is bad news for the bond market now, because now they're expecting the Fed to be very aggressive again in September and possibly uh, even in November and December. So it's kind of, you know, the, the Fed wants the job market to cool off so we don't blow past full employment, which would cause, give them even more headaches because returning to the economy to full employment without pushing it into a recession is very, very difficult for the Fed to pull off. So yeah, I think the Fed's looking at this and the job market's giving them cover to continue to aggressively raise interest rates. So I think, you know, we have 50 basis points in our baseline forecast. I think depending on what for the September. CPI does, yeah, for September, depending on what the CPI does next week, I think odds are pretty high that they go 75. So, oh, they're, really? Yeah, they're oh. going to keep pushing hard because they want to get inflation down. And I'm just afraid that you're going to overdo it. Huh. Uh, okay. Well, I, I, I think their number one, uh, priority is inflation. So we mm -hmm. get, a, as you say, a consumer price index report, CPI report for the month of July on Wednesday, next Wednesday. 
And of course, the June CPI report was a disaster, you know, mm-hmm. big increases. Of course, oil gasoline prices peaked back in June. Correct. And we had 9.1%, I believe, year-over-year CPI inflation, of, you know, 40-year high. Can you give us a sense? I know this is early and you have a lot of work to do to give you, and you're really good at this, uh, to, you know, uh, give us a sense of CPI. But can you give us a, an advanced preview? Because gasoline prices have come way in. Mm-hmm. Uh, diesel prices have come down. Jet fuel prices have come down. Energy, the whole energy price structure has come in between June and July. We should get a... I think a much better number, but what do you, what do you think? What is CPI looking like for so uh, gasoline alone? So the CPI for gasoline should uh, shave half a point off month over month growth in the CPI. So we're looking at a very small increase. You know, right now I have like 0.2. Oh, okay. So change increase month over month for the headline CPI. What I think is going to be interesting is the core CPI is going to come in hot. So that oh. core CPI excludes food and energy, and that should be up half a point to. 0.6 right now. Really? So that's what the Fed's going to cling to. Why do you say, say that? What are you looking at that would give you that kind of a number? 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6 on core CPI. Oh, if you look at apparel prices, if you look at new and used car prices, all these prices are going to continue to increase. There's no indication that used car prices are coming down. I mean, well, wait, caveat. The shelter. Hold shelter. Wait, wait, on the used car prices, they are coming down. They're just, you're saying not in the if you look at the auction prices of used cars, that's based on mm-hmm. our data. The, we look at the auction price of vehicles. That's that's definitely coming down, right? But that's not what the BLS uses, though. Okay, that's so what you're saying. The, you're saying yeah, the BLS. You look at transaction prices. Oh, so that so this. I mean, I've been waiting for used car prices to, to really roll over here in the CPI, and you're saying not in the month of July. Not in July, but it's it's coming. It's coming. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So I just think July is going to be. With regards to core, to Chris's point, I mean, rent is going to, it's not going to peak until later this summer. So that's going to juice the core CPI as well. Oh, okay. Why do you think it'll peak later this summer? Just given the lags between market rents and when they feed into the, uh, the BLS measure of owner's equivalent rent or tenant's rent. Okay. It's about a year, 18 months. So that's coincides with late summer, early <clears throat> fall is when growth should peak. Are you asking why it's going to peak at all, Marissa? Is that yeah? I was. I okay. wasn't thinking of the OER component. I was more thinking of tenants' rent and and why would that peak in a couple months? I could see why OER would peak at some point. Owner, owner's equivalent rent. Yeah. Well, I think the the market rents have on a year over year basis, sequential monthly month month to month, and on a year over year basis have peaked. They I think they peaked. Oh, oh, a while ago, like mm-hmm. six months ago or so, they're they're still very high. It's still, yeah. I think it's still double digit, but I think it's it's kind of rolled over. But yeah. but nonetheless, but anyway, there's okay. A, there's been a lot of multifamily construction over the past year or so. There has, yeah, mm-hmm. and a lot so coming because there's a lot in the pipeline. The pipeline, yep. So you're expecting that to take an edge off of rent growth here towards the end of the year, going into next. But still, mm-hmm. your point is in the next in July, we got a okay. big. Increase in CPI shelter. Correct. And core is going to be hot. Mm-hmm. And, and core then, was up half a point, I think, in June, right? And you're saying we're going to get another half a point in correct. July. Because a lot of the prices that were up in July for the core CPI are sticky. And you know they don't you know, really mean revert very quickly. Right. 
Okay. What about food prices? Any sense of that? I mean, everything seems to suggest that should be down too, or at yeah, least. That, yeah, for right. month over month, they've been rising around 1%. Like they've been just pretty steady, yeah. but commodity yeah. prices have come down a lot. Right. With diesel prices coming down, that should help take some uh, heat off food prices as well. Because that's the, the, like over half the cost of food is just m- getting it from the farm to the store shelf. Correct. Diesel. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what you're saying is this, given the strong jobs numbers, which are obviously too strong for the Fed's taste, lower unemployment, that's the wrong direction in the Fed's view, which should be moving north to take, you know, obviously the prism is inflation and they want to cool off wage and price pressures. And you're saying the CPI report, it'll look good top line, but underneath the hood, the core is going to give them some, some agita constant. Mm -hmm. Is that a word? Agita? Oh, yeah. anyone, it is a word. Okay. Agita. Okay. Talking to three Italians here. Yeah. Oh, you all know Agita. Your mom would say, you're giving me Agita. We all have it. <laughs> we all have Agita. Okay. <laughs> um, and we have three Italians. I didn't even think of that. We got the Reedies, D'Antonio. Oh my gosh. Dean Natale. It just dawned on me. You guys knew you guys the were three D's. Three the D's. three D's. The oh wow, cool, very cool. And then we got one Irish dude. You're Irish, aren't you, uh, Ryan? No, no, um, uh, Scottish. Scottish. Oh, same difference. Scottish. <laughs> no. Okay. Oh, that, very, very good. That's that's so cool. Um, where were we? Oh. Uh, What's the market say, Ryan, about uh, the Fed in September? Are they now pricing in 75 basis points? So before yeah. before the employment report, it was a 60% probability of a 75 basis point rate hike. Now, last time I checked, it was close to 70%. Ooh, boy. And that will go up after the CPI next week. All right. Okay. All right. We have not changed our forecast yet, though. We're still at 50. We're going to see. Yeah, we need to see the CPI. We need to see the CPI. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Okay, very good. September 21st is a long way away still. Yeah, a lot can happen. Between yeah, them. a lot can happen. A lot it's can not happen. just you the CPI report. A lot, lot can happen. Yeah. Uh, and and I, to, to Dante's point, I don't think underlying job growth is 500K plus. I, I, I don't think right. it is. Uh, I think it's definitely south of that, probably half that. And if that's right, then that'll shine through here before the Fed Fed uh, meeting in September. But anyway, so, I mean, I don't want to steal Dante's numbers, but you know, the seasonal adjustment factor is pretty favorable in July, particularly for uh, state and local government education. So usually that falls by a million. It didn't fall anywhere close to that. Same thing with leisure and hospitality. So, oh, you're saying the seasonal is flatter this 500k gain a little bit, that, yeah. And so it's the seasonals are not going to do so in August. Well, August will be the key report for the FOMC. Remember August. Always comes oh, in. yeah. August. Oh, yeah. We always death, get wacko. Death, yep. Wacko death taxes numbers. in a week August employment report. Always weak in August. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And we are, our thesis was that's because of uh, the response rate to these surveys by businesses and households. Or businesses. And the response rate in July was the lowest since 2010. They've just no. been consistently really low this year. So wow, that that's is why we'll see when we get the annual benchmark revisions. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's play the game. Uh, the, the statistics game, as uh, you recall, people get annoyed at me for repeating the, the rules because 
I, we need to because we have folks on the podcast that do not play by the rules unless you articulate them every single time. And the rules are uh, each of us gives a statistic. The rest of us try to figure out that statistic through a questioning and deductive reasoning and clues. Uh, the best statistic is one that's not so easy that we all get it quickly. Not uh, We don't want that too hard that we never get it. And uh, it, it needs to be or should be, except I can break this rule every once in a while, but, you know, uh, should be the case that it's this last week or, or so or relevant to the topic at hand, which is which is obviously the labor market. OK, with that, um, I think we should go with Dante first, because I really want to know what these three reasons are. So uh, let's, let's go back to Dante. Dante, uh, what's your statistic of the week? Three hundred and forty nine thousand. Oh, I know what that is. Oh, is it negative? No, not negative. Oh, okay. Oh, so you don't know what it is? No, well, never mind. I thought it was. I, I thought it had to be. Well, negative. What's negative three hundred forty-nine? That was the change in non-seasonally adjusted employment in July. Oh, no! This is the, the. No, no, that's what the number. Obviously, negative three hundred and something thousand was the change in non-seasonally adjusted employment in July. Hold it, hold on. Um, I, so what? So in really? July, not seasonally adjusted employment fell three hundred forty nine thousand. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? usually usually falls a lot more. Oh, oh, because of oh, because of schools. Yeah. Oh, I yep. see. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. Schools let out. Okay, got it. Christine, uh, yeah, this is the difference between the payroll and the household survey. Should have went with the harder version, the the average. Yeah, that. So it's the difference between the uh, yeah establishment survey and household survey employment. Um, average of 350 right well yeah so over I, the last oh, wait well I, why chris how did you know that i mean that's that's, that's a good weird that's a weird collusion to know huh this collusion uh, we were uh it's called uh, collusion preparing for, we were preparing for a <laughs> webinar this week and uh, i pulled this up oh that's right so it's it, you it was a, in my mind so i chart. looked it up i was thinking for it of it as a statistic but Oh, you had a chart with uh, employment versus uh, payroll versus household employment. All right. Yeah. Okay. So Dante, uh, why'd you, why'd you pick that? So the number I really wanted to use over the last four months, the average change in household employment is negative 42,000, right? So it's, it's down on average over the last four months. Um, you know, the gap between payroll employment and household employment is, is big over the last four months. And I, I'm I'm not a big proponent of household survey employment. No offense to Marissa's you know, former career. But no, that's uh, exactly what you. But you're and, definitely and, dissing Marissa. None take no offense. Marissa, and he says I'm not dissing Marissa. And, and over <laughs> over you know one two three months you know we see these gaps form all the time and usually they revert back and they it, but now we're we're getting to that point where it's starting to look like maybe it's something where at four months where you've got payroll survey employments over 400,000 average over the last four months. And you've got household survey employment, which is negative over the last four months certainly makes me think that there's some weakness there in the payroll survey that we're not seeing. Um, again, over the next couple of months that could, that could flip and everything could look fine over the course of the year, but it, it's getting to that, you know, sort of time horizon where I start to think about it a little bit more in terms of a potential issue. So that was one of your reasons for thinking the job numbers, the report isn't quite as strong as it appears. I look at household employment, which is the survey of households that's been showing much, much weaker, even declines in employment in recent months compared to this booming gains in the payroll survey. 
Right. And Ryan, I, I'm assuming Ryan's going to tell me I should look at the adjusted concept mm-hmm. for household employment, which I was up 610,000 is, is better oh. right this month. But the average over the last four months is still much weaker. It's only like 180 K average mm-hmm. over the last four months. So it's still less than half. The you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta love the camaraderie here. I mean, Dante knew exactly <laughs> where Ryan was going to go yeah. after him on. Mm-hmm. Like he immediately knew even before Ryan, like Ryan said couldn't, anything. Couldn't get the number out. Yeah, yeah, I knew you were coming. I knew you were going to come at me with it. Yeah, this month it was strong, but yeah, over the last four, it's still much weaker. Even if you this adjust, this is a tight group. Out. This is really a tight group. I mean, we can read each other's minds. I, you know, he knew he like he he had to get it out quick because he knew Ryan was going to pounce on him. I, yeah, I knew he was just wait. I could see him just waiting. Coiled spring over there. Yeah, very cool. So that was the one reason Ryan touched on the other two reasons, right? The response rate is still historically low and. 2022 on average is looking like it's going to be terrible. You know, 2021 had set a record for low response rates. 2022 is trending even lower than that in terms of average response rates on the first print estimates. Um, and then the seasonals are. Can you are, explain that just just for the listener out there? You're, you're you know this is these are surveys, the surveys of businesses, surveys of households, and of course the it's not compulsory. It's not like you have to fill it out uh, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And you're saying that the percent of businesses that are uh, responding to the BLS survey is way down compared to historical norms. Right. For July, I think this was the weakest July since 2008. And, you know, even if you look on average across the whole year, response rates have been down in 2021 and even further down in 2022. They're the weakest in, you know, 15 years, probably. What's going on, do you think? Why? I assume really- some of it is survey fatigue. You know, I feel like over the last few years, there's been just an increased number of surveys in general. And I think it's some of it is just, you know, exhaustion of, of filling out surveys and more important things to do in terms of business finances and business prospects than answering a survey about employment. I got fatigued. Definitely got fatigued. Yeah. I filled out so many surveys. I was, you know, many moody surveys. <laughs> Although much of this is automated now. I mean, oh, it's, it's pretty rare that someone at a company is filling out a survey. Most of the payroll survey is a automated kind of thing. So it could be, uh, I mean, it, 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 maybe it's the working from home thing. Maybe like with oh, all of this disruption. Going down, Marissa's point. I don't, I mean, I mean, just there's disruption in the way business has been, has been transacted right over the past and things have happened over the past couple of years. So Maybe it's that. Maybe it's business formations. Well, I, we get the benchmark preliminary next month, right? So yeah. we'll find yeah. out if this response rate um, issue, how big mm-hmm. of an issue it's been. Well, that's w- when the BLS benchmarks the survey-based information to the actual counts of employment based on unemployment. claims, program. yeah. Yeah. So we get a full view of what's going on in the labor market. This is their initial- It's a preliminary. Yeah. Preliminary. They don't actually incorporate until January, I believe. Or right. Yeah. Usually the preliminary is very close to the final. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious. So that's two. What's the third reason? That- the third was seasonal adjustment, which Ryan touched on. For July, it's yeah. a big factor, right? Outside of January, July has the biggest seasonal adjustment factor of any other month. And pre-pandemic, that adjustment was about 1.2 million on average up. So July employment unadjusted is typically way down. Seasonal adjustment would lift it by about 1.2 million. Pre-pandemic, 
in 2020 and 2021, that got cut to about 750K. And this year, you know, in, in 2022, that bounced back up over 900,000, the adjustment. So, you know, if the adjustment had stayed where it was the last two years, this number would have been in line with the average over the last few months. It would have been sub 400,000, you know, but mm-hmm. the seasonal adjustment bounced back up by, you know, 150K. So that's providing some support. And I think it, it's hard to know what is the right number, right? Is is the seasonal adjustment, should it be more like 2020 and 2021, or should we be moving back towards 2018, 2019? You know, I, don't, I don't know what the right answer is, but I think it adds uncertainty to that number. number. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's pretty convincing. So you're saying strong report, but probably there's less there than meets the eye. Yeah. It's certainly not a negative in any way. I think, no, I think, no, no, no. I think right. it's probably more like trend growth of the last three months than it is any sort of acceleration in job growth. Yeah. 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 Which trend would be, I think if you take a three month moving average, the job monthly job gain is like four. Hope this isn't anyone's statistic. I think it's like 430, 435, something like that. Yeah. That's yeah. It's still strong over hundred K, but okay. Uh, okay. Very good. Um, and uh, Chris deserves uh, plaudits. It's not a cowbell because he he nailed that pretty quickly. And he's so, you know, modest. He didn't even, to, if, if I had done that, you would have definitely known that I had done that. Uh, Where is the cowbell? Chris, do you have one? We all, we all have cowbells. Uh-huh. You know, here's my cowbell. But yet no one, no <laughs> yeah, one that, gave Chris yeah. a ring. <laughs> Well, mm-hmm. it happened last week too, Marissa. I heard. So I heard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did it happen? Okay. Yeah, you're right. You got it last week too. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Uh, Marissa, you're up. Let's, okay. go, let's go to you. 6.7%. Is that you six? You got it. Oh, oh now, okay, wait. That is a cowbell. Is oh, a so cowbell. now it's a cowbell. Look at the excitement on his face. He <laughs> <laughs> almost jumped out of his chair. <laughs> I love the game. I love it when I. Oh, I love this game. Answer. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That was Ryan, were you easy. impressed? I, just no, no, I, was imp- I was impressed. I was impressed. <laughs> he was impressed. impressed. Okay, you uh, six. What's you six? Obviously, it was pretty easy, but I picked oh, it because. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Fair enough. U6 is the the broadest measure from the household survey that we have of labor underutilization. So it includes the traditional unemployment rate, includes all the people that are counted as officially unemployed, but it also counts people that are working part-time for economic reasons, which means they don't want to be working part-time, but they have to, either because that's all they can find or because their employer cut their hours. And it also includes people that are marginally attached to the labor force, which means um, they're not working and they haven't looked for work in the past four weeks, but they looked sometime in the past year. And that includes people that are not looking for work for a variety of reasons. It could be people that are discouraged over drug prospects. It could be people that are sick um, or have to take care of a family member. So it's kind of the biggest, the the most encompassing metric of labor market underutilization. And I picked it because 6.7% in July is the lowest that that has been since December of 1969. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, okay. 
Wow. So uh, unemployment three and a half is back to pre-pandemic. Six, seven is the lowest. Is even lower than that. Yeah. When you when you add in all those other groups. That's that's very cool. Well, three and a half is still among the lowest. Yeah. 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 I mean, and it's close, right? Like six point seven percent. It's been like six point eight percent or something uh, before. But yeah, but it is the lowest since 1969. That's another one of those glass half full, glass half em- half empty kind of things. I mean, like I'm going. That sounds it, great. Then they go, "Oh my tight. gosh!" Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I kind of had the question when Ryan, when we were talking about the Fed, and obviously the Fed is keyed in on inflation, but in terms of what they're how they're measuring what full employment is, can you can you talk a little bit about what you think they're looking at? Because if we're saying that we don't think the participation rate is going to get back to where it was, right? Because of demographics, then how, how are they measuring what full employment is? Well, Ryan's got his favorite one. What's that? And I, I know the prime age. Yeah. Prime age. Pop employment to population ratio. And that rose to 50. It was, what was it? 80%. It was on the nose. Yeah. 79.8% in June. But 80% is that's, you know, that's, a reasonable full employment. It's not above full employment. It's not below full employment. It feels like that's exactly on full employment, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. So you don't, you, you look at that and you don't, you don't go on high alert. The economy's overheating. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. But it feels like it's been hovering around 80%, the employment mm-hmm. to population ratio for, for, for six months now or something. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But six seven, that's inter- that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, very good. Okay, uh, Chris, you're up. All right, I'll reverse Marissa. Seven point six million. What is it? Why is that a reverse? Oh, oh she was six point seven. This is seven point six. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Did okay, anyone else get that's that? That's my words. Yeah, seven point six million. million Four point eight percent is related to that. To give is you this coming from the jolts. Nope. Came out today. Seven point six million, and what was the st- the percentage? Four point eight percent. Four point eight percent. Is this one of the blemishes you had to find? I had to dig. Yeah, was deep. this in the household survey? Cuts that... What's that? Is that Dante? Deep down in the demographic cuts of the household survey, is that where we are here? It's in the household survey. Yes. Is that a deal with do with teenagers? Nope. And this is a blemish. This is something. Well, it's sort of a blemish. Kind of. Sorry. I mean, it's not a. Yeah. Big deal. Big deal or a detractor, if you will, but put some uh, color on the payroll survey. Oh, on the payroll survey. Well, but it's, it's from the household survey, but okay. this figure. Is it part-time, full-time kind of thing? No, you're getting closer though. Working uh, for economic reasons. No, you're getting farther. Huh. <laughs> oh, I know what it is. You got it's it? It's multiple job hold. You got it. Holding oh, oh, good job. Very good. That is, very that good. is definitely cowboy, Thank you. cowbell worthy. Cowbell worthy. That was a tough one. <laughs> yeah, cowbell worthy. Uh, so why'd you pick yes. that? What's that? So why did you pick that? Yeah, so it's up. So 7.6 million people have multiple jobs versus seven and a half last month. So about hundred K, right? So it's increasing. Um, it is still below what it was prior to the pandemic, right? So people are taking 
more jobs, right? Individuals are taking more jobs, but it's not quite at the level either in number or percentage terms as we had pre-pandemic. So do expect this to continue um, given all that demand that's out there. And if finances are, are tight, especially for folks at the lower end of the distribution, you can expect them to be picking up more jobs. So again, puts a little spin on the payroll number, yeah. which of course counts the jobs versus households with, which are counting people. All right. Good one. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good job, Marissa. Um, okay. Uh, and uh, Ryan, you're up. 206,000. 206,000. Uh, was that in today's jobs report? No comment. <laughs> if I answer that question, you'll, you'll get it. Really? That seemed mm-hmm. like a pretty innocuous question. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Because oh, the answer is okay. no. Therefore, the answer is no. The answer is no. Is that uh, something related to UI claims? It is. Oh. <gasps> is that seasonally yep. unadjusted UI claims? Yeah, Dante got it. Oh, what do you mean Dante got that? He, he beat you. <laughs> he did? Yeah. Yep. I didn't hear him. This one's for you, Dante. <laughs> oh, geez. I didn't hear him. You didn't that hear him because you were talking. <laughs> 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 My more normal state of affairs. Yeah. Okay. Actually, this is really important. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I forgot to bring it up, but go ahead, fire away. This is really, really, really interesting. So initial claims, which counts the people filing for unemployment insurance benefits, have been ticking up on a seasonally adjusted basis throughout July. Uh, and I think there were close to 260,000 last week. But July, you have auto retooling. So I thought, all right, maybe the the timing of the uh, when they normally switch over models is throwing off UI claims. But when you look at UI benefits unadjusted for seasonal fluctuations, they're moving sideways. So they're exactly where they were during the June payroll reference period. So that increase kind of factored into the forecast for weaker job growth. But if I had looked at this sooner, I would realize that UI benefits really hadn't ticked up. And in today's employment data, you can look at the labor force flows and the number of people going from employed to unemployed did not increase. So you know the increase in UI benefits is a little bit misleading or very misleading. Really interesting. So we've been looking at the seasonally adjusted weekly unemployment insurance claims, which we focus on because that's a Mm -hmm. kind of a real-time indicator of what's going on. That had been trending up. We were down close to a couple hundred thousand in the spring. Last week, it hit 260. That is kind of the high end of the range you feel comfortable with. Anything above that, you start saying, oh, the job market's really going to start to slow here. But you're saying if you look at the seasonally unadjusted UI claims, no real increase. And I, did you mention Massachusetts? Did you mention? The no, I didn't. Something's odd. quirky going on in Massachusetts because you saw a big spike in initial claims in July or the first half of July. They come yeah. back down a little bit, but they're still very elevated relative to where they were in June. So I'm not quite sure. There's been a few strikes in Massachusetts and you know, people that are on strike can't receive UI benefits, but it doesn't stop them from filing. Or you know, there's uh, the Massachusetts uh, uh, Unemployment Insurance Fund is kind of running dry. Uh, they, they paid out billions during the pandemic. So I don't know if that, Marissa and I were talking about this. I don't think this is a factor, but I don't know. Maybe people rushed out to try to file before. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I have I don't have an explanation for what's going on in Massachusetts. Right. But if I think if you, you take uh, total US nationwide UI claims, subtract a- a Massachusetts, seasonally unadjusted, I think we're actually at a new low on mm-hmm. claims for unemployment insurance. Yep. So one so state is throwing off a lot of the data. So... so I mean, your conclusion is there's been no pickup 
in layoffs and layoffs are very low by any they are. standard. So mm-hmm. that goes back kind of counter to Dante's glad, you know, the reason for it to be weaker. This is stage as the, the labor market's pretty booming. Sp- yeah. Booming. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Right. Focus on UI is that, you know, especially at turning points when yeah. UI benefits start going up, that means the unemployment yeah. rate is going to start going up and then you get that vicious cycle that kicks in. Yeah. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Okay. I'm going to give you mine. Yep. Uh, and this will be a segue into the last part of the conversation. Uh, $4 and 11 cents. Is that copper? No. Gasoline. Copper is $4 and 35 cents. Average national gas price. Marissa. Way to go. Wow. Marissa is on yes. fire. He's on fire, baby. She's putting us all to shame. Making up for that. Making up for my making up for that lack of bum participation rate. Yeah, the employment <laughs> report. <laughs> no, that's very good. Yeah, four dollars and eleven cents. That's triple A. That's uh, yeah, as of yesterday, I believe. The all-time peak was five dollars a gallon on the nose, and that was mid-June. So we're almost down a full buck. And just as a, a kind of point of reference, I think in a kind of a well-functioning economy with oil prices at equilibrium, which we put at 75 bucks a barrel, something like 70, 75 bucks a barrel, a gas should be going for three and a quarter, $3 and 50 cents. So, you know, we're on the high side of where it should be, but you know, uh, that's, that's a big deal. That's coming in very fast. Uh, and just uh, give you a sense of how important the, remember going back to the consumer price index, CPI inflation is 9.1 of that. 3.5 percentage points is directly related to these higher energy prices. And of course, it doesn't account for the indirect effects, the diesel prices on food that we talked about, or jet fuel on, on the airline tickets, that kind of thing. So this is a big deal in terms of uh, overall inflation. And we all know that gasoline plays an outsized role in kind of the collective psyche, how people kind of view the world inflation expectations and how they think about their own financial future fortunes. So this decline in oil price, gas prices, oil prices is a big deal. Hey, Ryan, one quick question there. You look at uh, wholesale prices to guide where retail prices are going to be in a couple of weeks. What are wholesale prices saying? The price that you and I are paying will get close to $4 per gallon in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Okay, good. Here's the other thing I find fascinating. You know, there's this old adage that gasoline prices rise like a rocket and fall like a feather. Uh, you know, so they, when oil prices go up, oil companies jack up gas prices very quickly. When oil prices come back down, they don't bring down gas prices as quickly. That does not seem to be the case here. They're falling mm-hmm. fast, right? They're very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, they've, they've, they've come down as fast as they went up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Okay. Uh, and this is, a, I think, a good uh, segue uh, to uh, the last part of the conversation. And that's, uh, you know, well, what does it all mean for the economy and recession risks and odds of recession, that kind of thing? Now, I'll have to, I'll, let me preface it, this conversation this way. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm so confused, uh, you know, because everything I've been looking at over the past week, over the pa- really over the past month, six weeks, makes me feel better about the economy. Today's jobs numbers make me feel, boy, the labor market's very resilient. You know, businesses going to may look through the business cycle and and uh, keep on hiring yeah we'll see slowing but they're not going to cave here because they know that they've got a big problem filling those unfilled positions in the long run 
I mentioned gasoline prices, stock prices, you know, stock prices, they were down 25% at one point or pretty close. I think from the, from the peak back four, six, eight weeks ago, we're now down, you know, 15 to 20%, which is down, but off this incredibly high level and doesn't feel consistent with the idea that we're going to recession. I look at the ISM surveys for the month of July. They were, they were good. You know, they were actually the ISM services, non-manufacturing that actually rose during the month. So it doesn't, you know, I look at all that and I go, wow, it feels like the economy is doing pretty well. But here's the thing that I get confused at the one thing that the fly in the ointment, the thing that I stick in my side, uh, any other ways of describing how I feel, uh, you know, you get my point is that yield curve, that yield curve, the difference between two year, 10 year treasury yields, that is a very prescient leading indicator. It gets it right. That is sometimes inverted. it's negative. What is it? All negative now? No, it was it? minus 40 to minus uh, 40 basis points this morning. 40 yeah. base 0.4%. That's a, that's like a, that's a, a hard inversion. You know, there's no ambiguity around that. And it's been inverted now for more than a month. So that would signal recession. So, okay. How do you, what, how, are you as confused as I am? And how are you resolving that in your own mind? And where are you landing? And I, I'll, I'll go around the circle, get people's sense of how they're thinking about the economy, recession risk. Give me your odds of recession in the next 12 months, 24 months. And then, uh, then I'll give you mine. So does that sound like a reasonable way to, mm-hmm. uh, to end the conversation? Okay. Uh, why don't we, uh, we, we'll begin where we started with Marissa. How, how are you thinking about things? Did we start with me? I don't know. I thought Didn't we started we? with Dante. Well, anyway, okay. <laughs> now hold it. Didn't you give the rundown? Oh, you mean back then? Okay, yeah. yeah. I thought you meant the game. I thought <laughs> you meant the right game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the game. Seems, the game. Seems the like game. an eternity ago. Oh, yeah, right. um, I. You want to forget actually, the beginning? Is that's the, that's I the do. Issue. I do yeah. want to forget it. Um, I, weirdly, I feel a little more optimistic yeah. than I did maybe even a month ago before the Q2 GDP came out. I mean, the job market looks better. Those ISM surveys looked a little better. Like things seem, things seemed a little better than we were expecting. Um, the yield curve. Yeah. I mean, it's not really wrong. Right. Um, so I'm kind of at 50% over the next year, year and a half, I think. Okay. Yeah. Even odds. Yeah. 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 Okay. That makes sense. Any other statistics that sway your thinking one way or the other that, that, that I did not mention? Uh, so not, not really big national statistics. One thing I have been looking at is just household spending and, uh, and, and credit, right? It looks like credit markets are tightening up a little bit. Um, they're still pretty loose though. The household survey pulse the, the Census Bureau's Pulse Survey, which we've mentioned a few times on the podcast. Um, one thing that's that's concerning, and this just goes back to inflation, is they ask people if they're having trouble making ends meet, if they're having trouble just meeting their monthly household obligations. That was 40% of households said they're having trouble making 
ends meet at the end of um, July here. And that's the highest it's been since they started taking the survey when the pandemic started. And it was a year ago, it was 27% said they were having trouble just Mm. meeting obligations. And now it's 40. So I think inflation is really the problem here. So if we're assuming that this is peaking and it's going to be better from here on out, then that also makes me feel a bit better about the prospects of the economy. Okay. Dante, um, how are you thinking about things? I'm I'm at 50-52. I think the thing I'm, if you could engineer what you'd want to happen with the labor market, you know, maybe we want things to slow a little bit more quickly, but you know, layoffs don't look like they're really elevated in any meaningful way. And at the same time, job openings have come down by over a million in the last three months, which is exactly what the Fed wanted to happen, right? They want some of the froth to come out of the labor market, some of those openings to go away, to take some of the heat off of you know, wage and price pressure without layoffs inching up, right? Which is what we've seen happen now over the last few months. And so the question is, will that continue? And it, you know, it feels like we, we're in a better place for that to continue happening over the next couple of months than we maybe were uh, given the strength of the, the jobs report. So, you know, if we can continue to see openings come in without UI claims or any other measure of you know, layoffs starting to inch higher, I think that's that's where we want to be. So you you, you uh, can see a path forward that does not include recession, but obviously it's a narrow path. Yeah, it's a narrow path, but I think right, we need to see openings continue to come down. We need to see labor demand, yeah. you know, pull back a little bit without layoffs flying higher yeah right right okay uh, chris where are you i'm still at uh 60 60 haven't really haven't really yep. budged there um session odds over the next year over the next year i think yep. we're in a good news is bad news situation yeah um the fed I th- is operating with a lag and i think they'll uh they're gonna overdo it overshoot it here and with higher probability that we go into recession i'm also looking at confidence Right, consumer confidence remains quite low. Maybe it turns around with gas prices, but I, I worry that that's going to wear on uh, on spending and the outlook overall. And uh, housing, right? Housing slowing. I'm not seeing that picking up uh, substantially anytime soon. I think that's going to be a drag on uh, activity. It's not a be, right. That, that's it should not be. A, yeah. 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 I mean, that's by design, right? If you're going to, design, but it is a weight. Growth. Yeah, it is, it a is a weight, though. You put that on top of these other factors, and the recession probably goes up. Yeah. Okay. And how much weight do you put on the yield curve inversion? A lot. A lot. <laughs> so ten year, the forty basis points, ten two. That that's definitely why I'm over fifty. If yeah. the ten year, three month were to invert, it's not. It hasn't yet, but it's narrowing. Uh, then I'm going higher. Uh, that's really for me a uh, very precious that's thing. That's going to invert in September. If they go 50 basis points, it'll be close, right? Yeah, but if they go 75. If they go 75, yeah. They're going to invert it. But as we've said, there's a lot of ground to cover between now mm-hmm. and then. Now so. and then, yep. So Yeah, okay. All right. So, Ryan, where are you? I'm still at 65. Okay. And that's because I'm with Chris. I think the Fed's just going to, they're going to kill something. They're going to kill inflation. Or they're going to kill the economy. And I think they're going too aggressive. They're behind the sure. curve, so they're they're trying to make up for lost lost ground. So if it goes seventy five in September, and you know, I think that's it's going to be too much. Right. And, and how much weight do you put on the yield curve? Uh, zero. Because the, the yield curve is basically saying the same thing. They're, they're saying that they, the Fed's going to overdo it, and they're going to have to have to start cutting interest rates sometime next year. I mean, Fed funds futures are already pricing in 
rate cuts in late 2023. Right, but that sounds like you're putting some weight. You, you, you're saying the yield curve. You're saying if the yield curve was saying something completely, if it was positive 40 basis points, that would not change your odds at all. No, the yield curve is not playing a, ro- a role in your thinking. I'm a skeptic of the yield curve. Just a coincidence. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're on record. You yeah. said we had hard inversion. So if we don't have a recession, if we avoid a recession, does that put less weight? Or are you going to be less of a yield curve? Oh, I have to be by definition, right? No, I'm I mean, just, saying, just saying. Yeah. No, no, no. By definition. Uh, well, I'm at 50% too, uh, e- even odds. Because uh, I can't give him these countervailing things. It's hard to come land one side or the other uh, on this. I, I do think though, <clears throat> you know, I just, my thinking is maybe evolving here. You know, I, my sense had been that if we're going to go into recession, it would be a near-term recession. You know, sentiment is really bad now. Uh, and if something doesn't stick to script, we go in, if people lose faith. We go into recession. Businesses cut back, they lay off, we go into recession. But may- maybe the recession is not near term. You know, maybe the recession ad- is actually sometime a year from now. Because if you take the two year, 10 years uh, yield curve, uh, the lead historically on average, and there's, there's a distribution, but on average is about 12 to 18 months. I think it's 15, to be precise, 15 months on average. So, you know, that would put the recession into end of next year, you know, sometime in the, later next year. And maybe what the curve is saying is, uh, what bond investors are saying is that the, the, the issue isn't with the economy going into recession now, jobs are fine, the economy's resilient. The problem is it's, it's so resilient that inflation, wage growth remains stubbornly high inflation remains stubbornly high, core inflation remains stubbornly high, and the Fed ultimately has no choice but to really keep stepping on the brakes, and ultimately it breaks the economy, as you say. But And it breaks not end of this year, early next, which is kind of sort of what I was thinking, but maybe it breaks end of next year. And, and maybe that that's how you square this circle. That's how you can get all these strong numbers now why the equity market seems to be okay now because they don't the equity market doesn't have that long of a horizon, and the curve is even further out and it's saying it's you know towards the end of the year. What do you did think you of see, that? Did you see what a lot of Fed officials said this week? No, that uh, a recession is avoidable. So is avoidable is avoidable. Okay, which means it's not avoidable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Explain that. No, when the Fed comes out and says, "Oh, we can, we still think we can avoid a recession," that's not going to yeah. build a lot of confidence. And it just to me, is kind of like you know, you're kind of making your own bed. Well, they couldn't, they couldn't possibly say. Oh no, no, we yeah, can't not, avoid a recession, right? Oh, of course, but, but just right. usually when they say stuff like that, it's like go back to Bernanke and he <laughs> said that you know there are no problems in the subprime mortgage market. Oh yeah, well he even gave a speech, wrote it down on paper, you know, mm-hmm. was yeah, okay. All right. All right. Okay. Very good. So uh, even odds, even odds, even odds, 60%, 65%.
Okay. We got to keep that in mind. Okay. Any, anything else you want to bring up? Anything we missed? We covered a lot of ground. Uh, I thought this was going to be a shorter podcast, but couldn't keep Dante quiet. Uh, so uh, any, any, anything else, Dante? Nope. I'm good. You're good. Okay. All right. Well, very good. We're going to call this a podcast. Um, I hope you found it of interest and we'll uh, be back next week. Talk to you soon.